Ida Bailey Allen, leading home economics expert in the 1920s, when smartly dressed women wore satin and sleeveless potato sacks, has friend to tea. Everything's ready moment guest appears, or should be according to Mrs. Allen's rules. This is prior to invention of store-bought tea ball, so proper hostess fills tea ball of her own. Rage of the day is to sweeten tea with candy. I'll have two chocolate-covered peppermint patties, please. No, uh, make that two lemon drops. While guest juggles teacup, Mrs. Allen offers free lunch. It's smorgasbord of cream cheese and pimento on buttered bread. As guest leaves, hostess guards what's left. Hi, and welcome back to Such an Old Soul with me, Dominique Lessing. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking about etiquette. I received this really nice little book that's very old from 1928 that was, I believe, my great-grandmother's, and it's called Etiquette for Every Occasion, A Guide to Politeness and the Customs of Good Society by Mortimer Chesterfield. And I thought it would be so interesting to go through some of the book. It is... There are quite a lot of chapters, but I thought I would take us through some of them. And even though we are hopefully quarantining and staying home in these troubled times, we can still think about having manners and etiquette in our own home with with the little bubble we are with. And then hopefully, of course, when this all um, ends, we can maybe implement some of this into our life or think about it just for fun when this is over. So I hope you'll join me for today's episode where I'm going to talk all about my thoughts and the thoughts of Mortimer Chesterfield on etiquette. All right, Eliza, say it again. They rhyme in spine, stays mainly in the plane. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. Didn't I say that? No, Eliza, you didn't sigh that. You didn't even say that. Every night before you get into bed where you used to say your prayers, I want you to say the rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain 50 times. You get much further with the Lord if you learn not to offend his ears. Now for your H's. Pickering, this is going to be ghastly. Control yourself, Higgins. Give the girl a chance. Oh, well, I suppose you can't expect you to get it right the first time. Now, come here, Eliza, and watch closely. Now. You see that flame? Every time you pronounce the letter H correctly, the flame will waver, and every time you drop your H, the flame will remain stationary. That's how you'll know if you've done it correctly. In time, your ear will hear the difference. See it better in the mirror. Now, listen carefully. In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire, hurricanes hardly ever happen. Now, repeat that after me. In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire, hurricanes hardly ever happen. In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire, hurricanes hardly ever happen. Oh, no, no, no. I have no ear at all. So let's begin. In the first chapter of 
etiquette for every occasion. It says, politeness and etiquette form a supplement to the law, which enables society to protect itself against offenses, which the law cannot touch. For instance, the law cannot punish a man for habitually staring at people in an annoying manner. We've all seen that, haven't we? <laughs> but etiquette can banish such an offender from the circles of good society and fix upon him the brand of vulgarity. In other words, if you're at a party and somebody could even be a small party and somebody is doing something that you find rather rude, even if you're not hosting the party, in my experience, if you give that person the cold shoulder or, or the trademark evil eye, even subtly, they will kind of back away or realize if they're not super obnoxious and unaware that what they're doing maybe isn't appropriate or, as this book is saying, is not in good etiquette and is not polite. So I think that that definitely applies to today. We do that. Many people do that in all kinds of circumstance in all kinds of circumstances and throughout their daily routine in very subtle ways such as the evil eye, such as being short with someone when you find them not to be um, using good etiquette. So I would say that right from the start, this book is definitely still standing true to today. Let's go on. In the second chapter, titled Personal Habits, it talks about how to be neat and how to present oneself in public. It says, familiarity breeds contempt. Laying the hand upon another's head or shoulder, clinging to the arms or about the waist is a freedom that only near relationships or close friendships will excuse. Among slight acquaintances, it is an unwarrantable liberty. Even at the impulsive schoolgirl age, young ladies should be taught to repel such underbred familiarities. Oh, I feel like that statement, some people feel that way today, and other people definitely do not. You know, the PDA and um, public display of affection can sometimes make people feel very uncomfortable and other times not so much. It reminds me of when I was in middle school and I went to a very large public school and there was literally a corner of the school where when you were released at the end of the day, everyone who was a couple or close friends, or they would say goodbye to each other in this area and hug and, you know, do whatever in front of a lot of times teachers that were monitoring the kind of bus schedule and the end of day um, dismissal. And I and it made a lot of people uncomfortable to watch such PDA um really displayed right out right outside the school but then uh, most of the students were totally okay with it and that's kind of instantly what I think of when I read that it doesn't really bother me at all I think it's quite nice to a degree it depends I wouldn't be 
as strict as this book is saying and and say absolutely not um but i say it depends also though if you're at a a lot of this has to do with being at a party and being with other people. If you're with other people and you're a single person and you're just surrounded by couples who are holding hands or like they say in the book, the arms are about the waist, it can make the other people at your party feel badly or uncomfortable. And, and that does not mean that they're not confident in their own skin. It just means that you're just showing that you're with somebody and and it can make others not feel as uh comfortable I guess I can't think of a, a better word but at a party and I think a lot of couples don't think about that it's like you don't have to be obsessing over your partner in a physical way every second you can get when you're with a huge group of people especially if a lot of them are by themselves it's like you should talk to them too you should give them a hug or or you know say they look nice and give them attention too and I think that that's more of being um courteous and aware of who you're with and appreciating everybody there not just your spouse significant other so I I do agree with with this chapter a little bit when it comes to that just because I think it it can be a little insensitive to be doing it so much in in a public setting um, but if you're just like with your loved one going about your day and you know your hold hands or, or whatnot I don't really think that that's not something one should do again these are only my opinions I would love to hear yours so please let me know but they are very strict in this book about not doing that Actually, the third chapter is How to Behave in Public. As we glance at a stranger, we judge from his exterior or personal appearance about where he ranks in the mental, moral, financial, and social status, and it is our first impression of him which assists us in forming an estimate of his character. Proper regard for appearance is then of the greatest importance, for as we regard others, so will they regard us, and the great public is the universal critic. It is not enough to know that we are honest, upright, cleanly, and reliable. But we must impress these facts upon all whom we meet, or who observe us, or run the risk of being misunderstood by them. Foolish disregard of public opinion has been the secret of non-success in so many cases that we cannot impress its importance too strongly. What others think of you, not what you think of yourself, is the index of your position. And that they should think well of you is perhaps the first end in life which you should strive to accomplish. But this we do not mean that you should cater or toady, is it toady? to everybody's whims. For it has been truly said that he who tries to please everybody usually ends by pleasing nobody but rather that you should so attire and demean yourself that both wise and foolish can be respect your bearing, can but respect your bearing, sorry. 
To say as an excuse for carelessness that your friends understand you betrays an indifference for the regard of strangers, and this indifference is apt to prove fatal to all effort to improve your conduct. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. There's something about this I don't like but then they talk about it because they it's like they knew I was gonna say that doesn't mean you shouldn't think of, of yourself or think about you know your in your soul and who you are like you know who you are and you and I think definitely today many people will say my friends know who I am and my good friends know who you know how I really am I don't need to dress up to see them I don't need to bring something over for their dinner party I don't need to um, clean my car because they're gonna be I'm gonna be picking them up they know me I think a lot of people do that and I sometimes have to catch myself doing that but but even if your friends and your family the closest people to you you think they realize that I am a upstanding human being or I'm, you know, a wonderful person. Why why do I need to do more? It's 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 giving respect to yourself and respecting them and really showing that I think this book is saying and I agree is saying that that you should be respecting yourself by having things um lovely and 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 clean and nice and and you're respecting them as well by showing that you care enough to make it so so i i have to say once again i actually do kind of agree with this to a point as i said i wouldn't go to the extreme where this book kind of does go to but I think it's definitely something to think about and be conscious of. And I like the overall mindset of that. All right, we're going to take a quick little break and we'll be right back. Chapter 4. Etiquette of Public Assemblies People who wish to leave the theater between acts should make it a point to secure end seats and not scrape past half a dozen other people three or four times during the performance. Okay, let me stop there. I am an avid concert goer, used to work at Carnegie Hall, so I'm, I'm very, very aware of this. And I love to sit on the ends. I think it's always good etiquette to sit on the end. Even though you might think the middle, you can see everything better. The end usually 
is just best. You can slip out, you can slip in. You, you typically, if you're on the end, you can see more of the stage because there's nobody right next to you. You can usually like lean a little bit more to the to the right or the left. And and also stretch out your legs much more because there's nobody sandwiching you in. So just on a practical standpoint, sitting on the end is always good. And there's nothing that just puts shivers down my spine than coming to something late and knowing my seat is like in the middle or even three seats in and I know I'm going to be disturbing somebody. I, I literally almost would rather not go to the event. And my mother, who is always late for everything, has had this happen to her many, many times. And I always think, I don't know how she does it because I would be very, very stressed if I were sitting somewhere or came in late and had to be like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And, and then the artist always sees you and it's just it's just not good I could go on about that but let me continue okay if it is necessary to trouble other people to rise and step aside to allow one to take or to leave his seat the person thus obliged should preface the action with I beg pardon or may I trouble you to allow me to pass and should acknowledge the obligation by saying thank you this may not lessen the inconvenience to other people, but it may fix the feeling of irritability that such things naturally arouse. It ought to be superfluous to say that talking aloud or continuously whispering during the pro progress of a play or opera or concert, usually on topics foreign to the occasion, is a rudeness to the performers and a bold impertinence to the rest of the audience. Some people are guilty of this insolence witting and unblushingly. Wittingly, I'm sorry. Wittingly and unblushingly. Ooh. I feel like Moira Rose with all these big words. For such, we have no word of advice. Such instances should be met by something more effective than gentle influence. But many, especially young people, talk and laugh thoughtlessly and from mere exuberance of animal spirits. It is to be hoped that on pausing to reflect that they will carefully avoid forming a habit of public misbehavior that will ultimately rank them in the social scale as confirmed vulgarians. Oh my goodness, I absolutely love that word, vulgarians. You better believe after this, I am going to be using that word quietly to myself all the time to describe people in my town, people sometimes close to me, even my cat at times. I'm going to be calling them a vulgarian when they do bad things, <laughs> things that I think are repulsive or obnoxious especially. I see a lot of obnoxious people in the world. I think we all do. And now I have a word to describe them that's a little more elegant. It's not cursing at them. It's not giving them the evil eye. All I have to say is they're a vulgarian. I absolutely love that phrase, that word so much. And if you've learned anything from this podcast today, I hope you will take with you that word. That is definitely a good one to describe so much just bad behavior that people 
Ah, do. Okay. An intelligent listener never interrupts. Between the scenes of a play or the successive numbers of a concert program, there are pauses long enough for a brief exchange of comment between two friends who are sharing an entertainment. Oh, that's so sweet. Let's share an entertainment. That's so cute. And they may enjoy the pleasure of thus comparing notes without once disturbing the order of the time and place. At a spectacular entertainment, it is very rude for those in front to stand up in order to see better, thus cutting off all view for those back of them. The dis the disposition to do this is very strong in rural audiences, where the flat floor of the schoolhouse or hall gives little chance for the observers seated back of the first few rows. But one may better lose part of the tableau on the stage than to furnish another one on the floor of the house. Hmm. Very interesting. While quiet greetings may be exchanged at the church door or in the outer vestibules before and after service, it is not good to chat sociably along the aisles or hold a gossiping conference in whispers with someone in the neighboring pew. And that's if you're at a concert um, or in church. Hmm. Let's see what the end of this says. Okay, so that's the chapter on etiquette of public assemblies. Very interesting stuff. I, I actually agree with all of that. I just think, and it's still being done today in a very, in a very large way. Um, as I said, I used to work in a concert hall, so I saw people demonstrate this all the time. And even in a place like Carnegie Hall that you think is the most sophisticated, grand place to see a concert, that people would have good etiquette and they do, do not have it. It's always very surprising to me. At a lot of concert halls, still to this day, I'd say a majority of them are standing room only and you have to sit, not sit, you're standing the whole entire time. And it is so easy to want to move up once you're standing in a certain spot, you realize it wasn't a good enough spot and you wanna move or you wanna kind of get really close to someone and, just so you can see better, even though you are in their personal space. And it, it can be tricky, but I think always remembering that you want everybody to have a good concert experience, too, is important. So I, I did like that chapter. I thought everything he had to say about that still is is a big deal today and is happening. And... It can be very tricky sometimes when it is a really big venue to mind your neighbor and to not talk too much, especially when you get excited because a lot of times you're seeing an artist you've never seen before, you don't get to see often, or they're your favorite, and you do want to yell and, and get excited. I mean, that's natural, but I think always maybe doing it when when it's appropriate to their saying not that you shouldn't so I'm gonna stop there and I think I will do two parts because there's so many chapters so next week I'm going to do chapters on handshaking 
greetings and salutations, general advice as to calls, and general rules for evening parties, as well as when you have an announcement and serving dinner. So those chapters look very interesting, very excited about that. And I so want to wish you all a very lovely, warm, happy Thanksgiving next week. I hope you all will stay safe and stay in your bubble of people and that you will still have a wonderful feast, but just with your very closest loved ones who've been with you since the beginning. So I'm going to say farewell and remember your etiquette and politeness this Thanksgiving. All right, toodaloo. Bye.